HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Kobe and Megan Garrett from Bluestem, Kansas City, Missouri, not Kansas. Right. Kansas yeah. City, Missouri. <laughs> I mean, Kansas ain't too far away, is it? No, actually, we, we live on the Kansas side and we work on the Missouri side and spend our days going back and forth quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, many people mix up the two, the yeah. city and the... The state line actually runs completely right through the middle of the city yeah it's kind of interesting it's a joke it's some kind of inside joke that yeah yeah (laughs) that nobody knows about so blue stem i'm gonna let you explain what the restaurant what the concept is is in kansas city missouri um recently came out with a cookbook uh which is fantastic i'm flipping through the pages right now but i met you guys years ago through a james beard event i'm not even exactly sure yeah, it was uh, it was probably 2006. It was right after, uh, yeah, we were cooking at the Beard House, and yeah. you had shot it. Yeah, and so. I, I was kind of smitten not only with your food, but your the rapport. That was so easy and yeah. so uh, almost Midwest. I think I gravitate towards that area <laughs> of the country. Um, but you were doing something in that kitchen, which was happening in New York, but was not happening where you were in Kansas City. Um, why there? Why Blue Stem? Why not New York? Well, Colby's uh, hometown is, is Kansas City. He grew up there, and I'm actually a Chicago gal. So yeah. uh, we uh, wanted, we were, were living on the West Coast. We lived in uh, Las Vegas and Santa Monica, California. We wanted to go back to our home, to our roots, and 
really do a restaurant that represented um, our love for the middle of the country and, and to be near family, quite frankly. So uh, we decided to find a little restaurant uh, that where we could do a small fine dining concept in. Um, and when we originally opened, um, it's 13 tables, very tiny. And about three years later, we were able to open and expand to an adjoining lounge uh, where we could do more casual fare as well. But um, yeah, it's it's... 13 tables, deconstation menus. Uh, we also do something Yeah, I think we just spend a lot of time in, you know, really high. We worked at True. We worked yeah. at Oriole. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we knew that there wasn't a lot of that going on in Kansas City. And, and I kind of felt like we had an opportunity to do something and stand out. And and uh, it worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you said you worked at True, Oriole, highly lauded, starred restaurants in, in the Midwest. Um, and it wasn't in Kansas City. What was in Kansas City? Was it barbecue? Was it fried chicken? Yeah, I mean, we that's what I grew up on is is really kind of, you know, homey food. You know, we, we didn't... You, if you went out to a nice restaurant on a Sunday night, yeah, you literally went to something that was the equivalent to a dive bar and you ate fried chicken yeah. and you know, you ate barbecue. That's it's a, the food scene there is very communal. You know, there's just a, when you get together and eat with people, it's usually family based and you know, there's picnics and the summertime barbecues and things like that. And you know, when we first opened blue stem, I think that ourselves included in much of the food scene that was there was trying desperately to run away from that. Mm-hmm. Well, in Kansas City's always been known as a food town from barbecue and fried chicken and yeah. some of the communal style restaurants that exist. There are a lot of dive bars and roadside, you know, the roadside barbecue we went to a few weeks ago for blues and barbecue. Um, but there wasn't, there's not a whole lot of upscale fine dining restaurants. So we knew that we could kind of be a big fish in a small pond in that, in that regard, but also come back to some regionality uh, with Blue Stem and, and doing a small restaurant there to embrace some of those food cultures that already exist in Kansas City. Yeah, aside from barbecue and fried chicken, are there other regional snack sandwiches that are, you know, renowned there? Uh, just, I don't know about that. I mean, there's lots of, you know, cured meats and hams and things like that, but I don't know about dairies, sandwiches. And a lot of local cheeses that exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we also have a lot of, uh, Chris Elbow is a good friend of ours, and he's a local chocolatier who does artisan chocolates. He has a shop there and also out in San Francisco, too. So, Kansas City is represented there. Everything is represented there. It's just smaller, you know, yeah. in, in New York, you'll find a lot of little chocolate places, but in Kansas City, there's one or two, but we have everything. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's always been a food town and it's, it's ever growing and ever changing and evolving more and more. And so. It's funny. Not only do you have everything, but we, we figured out a connection through heritage foods. Yeah. Um, which is paradise lockers. Yep. Paradise lockers in Trimble, Missouri, which is about 45 minutes to an hour North of, of, the metro area yeah and what what are they and what do they do they're a meat processing plant and uh yeah they they deal with you know all the heritage growers and you know lots of boutique uh farmers out there that it's funny you say boutique farmers they don't consider themselves (laughs) boutique farmers they just consider themselves farmers this year's atelier yeah exactly (laughs) but um you know they're just smaller production people that you know believe in you know raising stuff correctly and not the big feedlots and you know so anyway you can you can take about anything there and they'll process it for you and you know they're they're a great great company great people yeah it's funny that i mean that's such a major thing lacking here in new york right now that you know we have to go to 
Kansas. Yeah, City. we have to go to Missouri. No, there's mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. big chefs that buy directly from Paradise Locker. I actually, we kind of have a middleman in between that we buy through, but you know, we go up there and they've got a retail store in there. You can walk in, you know, you can't really say off the street, <laughs> off the gravel road, yeah. I suppose, and and walk in and and they have they have tons and tons of high quality stuff. Yeah. Yeah, what are some of the cool. more interesting cuts you've gotten from Paradise? Oh, I don't know. I don't think anything's really that strange anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, lots of oxtails and tongues and liver and, you know, heart and you name it. We, we've, we've gotten about everything. So. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's just nice to see that the offal is not only being processed, but purchased and used oh, there. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's still a little hard on, the, you know, in New York. Uh, oh, yeah. mecca of culinary, you know, delights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some, you know, there, there's some stuff you can get away with more than others. But, I mean, definitely oxtails and tongues and stuff like that, we, we use quite a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, in Kansas City, people aren't scared of that kind of ingredient. Some are, some aren't. Yeah, yeah. It depends on where you are. It's funny, the, clo- the more in the city you get, the more fearful they are, believe it or not. But, yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> More out in the country. In the country, you'll... Whatever you can, you can find sometimes. Go cut wood with an yeah. old-timer, and he'll pull head cheese out of his pocket and just start eating it. And it's kind of interesting. head cheese. Colby, yeah. Colby's actually... You've actually done that. Yeah. No, my, my dad's got a funny story about that. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're still living after that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. <laughs> Believe it or not. It <laughs> so, what are the things that you try to inflect and import into Kansas City that weren't there before? You know, I, I just think more of a, a philosophy, a cooking philosophy as far as, you know, refinement is concerned, you know, and as much as we go that direction, you know. Well, I think featuring regional food, giving it the respect that it deserves, you know, um, when we first opened uh, Blue Stem, our cheese selection, for instance, we were doing a lot of uh domestic but also french cheeses and italian cheeses and we had some guests in that that lived in france and they said you know it was kind of disappointing that they were eating cheese here in the middle of the country that they could get in their hometown and it was a kind of an epiphany went off like you know that's what we need to be doing is focusing on what we have and there's a really really great um sheep's milk uh well they do lamb and they do cheese as well called green dirt farms and they're in the cookbook which is one of the six featured farmers that we have in our book um and it it's all about just kind of uh re-educating the the local scene as to you know what's great in in our region and what we have to offer and and what we should all be serving and eating together and yeah you know that's that's what's fun to kind of find those those local farmers who've been around forever um but not make it it shouldn't be a trend yeah, it shouldn't be a trend it's just, that's the it's, thing that drives me nuts about the you know what's going on and it's like this is what we've always should have been doing yeah yeah and, and that I, was I, a I'm, resurgence of that i think I, I'm, I'm sure that that's what's going to end up being the the norm but you know sometimes i can't wait for it to be that way and not be such a trend or effect. Yeah, and people like seek these things out. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, Felicity yeah. may have had it. I'm actually open to the Crumbs Heirloom page uh-huh. um, of the cookbook. Uh, in 2006, when you were at the Beard House, you also had your sous chef in. Yeah, that was Dave Crumb. Yeah, yeah, Dave yeah. Crumb. <laughs> and Dave Crumb's mother or family, right. Has been running. And that's a lot of what uh, you'll find in Kansas City. I mean, most, well, a lot of areas you'll find that too. But, you know, our chef de cuisine, our first chef de cuisine, Dave Crumb, well, his parents have their own farm. They do gorgeous, gorgeous heirloom tomatoes. They also grow melons and peppers and almost anything we want. They'll ask us every uh, planting season, you know, what do you want to use next year, or next yeah, season? Yeah, they'll grow whatever we and want. And they'll grow it for us. But to have those connections, like someone who's working directly with us, and then, you know, we turn around and their family is then growing yeah. the food for us. That's yeah, very and the common. the cool thing is, like, all the farmers come to us 
you know, we definitely have a big market that we can go to, but you know, they call us every week and they're like, what do you need? What do you want? And we just tell them what we want. And they actually, they bring everything to us. So it's just a a different culture. You know, we lived in Los Angeles for a while and, and it was, you had to go seek these things out where that I think is the thing that I hope changes is that you don't have to go look for these things that they're, they're readily available. You know, it's sad that you can get Kraft macaroni and cheese at the grocery store a lot easier than you can get, you know, some produce that was grown by somebody down the street. You yeah. Know, it's like, that's I don't even the... know where Kraft is manufactured, <laughs> like <laughs> actually made, you know, that, that, that cheese powder I, I sauce. Think, mm-hmm. I think it just poof. It just exists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's like nitrogen in the air. Exactly. Yeah. What other farms, because you said you profiled six in the book. So mm-hmm. you have Dave crumbs, you have paradise lockers. We have Thane Palmberg. Who's from DeSoto, Kansas. That is, he's the real deal. Salt of the earth guy. He does not grow anything flashy. I mean, it's turnips and potatoes. <laughs> potatoes and onions yeah and no flash there <laughs> no yeah. flash you tubers know. and starch yeah, yeah. and he's he's a great guy um green dirt farms yep, green we dirt. do uh, uh celebrate their cheeses and lamb uh from there we also have shadow dairy yep, shadow which dairy. is um their milk is you know people can say milk is milk but not until you've had their milk it's, yeah. it's got a sweetness to it it's it's really rich it's really beautiful their cows are you're treated so wonderfully um and it's a beautiful farm we've been out there a couple and then times. there's also uh campo lindo farms mm-hmm. which is where we get all our poultry farm and eggs as well yep yeah eggs, turkeys yeah so Good aside stuff. from those six farms do you source from anywhere else it feels like that runs the gamut of everything that it's kind of interesting in. we are really loyal with some of the people that we buy from and and you well, know we, we're so small you know we there's only so many tomatoes that we need so we we try to source from this kind of the same farmers to support them every year but we'll flip-flop around depending on who's got the best stuff i mean i think that's all about the relationship too it's kind of like you know that's kind of the circle of things is they take care of us we take care of them and you know, we have those relationships. We're always open for new relationships, but you know, for instance, like the meat, you know, meat companies and things like that. It's, I stick with one, one person generally. And you know, that's, and then, you know, you have a relationship with them. We've been open almost eight years now. So, I mean, they'll bend over backwards for us and vice versa. You know, it's, we treat them well. We don't, curse and throw stuff yeah, yeah. and send stuff back you know <laughs> symbiotic yeah i mean it's just that's well, that's how things should when be. you continually work with some of the same farmers you know to what to expect on on their growing seasons and what they can provide and you know we'll make spaces available on the menu and kind of plan for okay crumbs tomatoes usually tomato season starts here but their farm is going to start at this time and we'll start to see tomatoes around this part you know this part of the the growing season so it, it, it makes it easier when you yeah. work with some of the same people well i guess i didn't i never thought of it like this you know obviously as a restaurant you need consistency yeah mm-hmm. but there must be expectation from clientele to oh, see sure. those tomatoes back up oh, they must absolutely. know them by name too yeah absolutely. oh yeah absolutely i mean they know exactly what they're gonna get it's you know when we first opened the restaurant we you know we we change the menu almost like every day and <laughs> i don't know call it maturity or whatever it's like you start to find these dishes that really work that people love and they they end up starting to you know, reappear year after year after year after year, you know, just kind of depending and customers on what ask it is. For them. Yeah. And that's kind of what led us to do the book because at eight years, we felt like we had a story to tell. We felt like we had enough recipes to fill the pages and, you know, customers keep asking, when's the gazpacho going to be out or comes <laughs> tomatoes ready? And, and what is the recipe for that? So yeah. it kind of all came together once, once we started getting those questions and the right people were in line to help us do the book. So actually let's use the gazpacho as a jumping off point because it's not a traditional gazpacho. No, it's, no. it's cleared. What, what what we actually do is the crumbs, um, we buy all their split tomatoes from them, you know, that they can't do anything with. Yeah. 
and uh yeah and we you know make a really rich gazpacho out of it and then we we clarify it. we just hang it in cheesecloth it's almost like tomato water but it's a lot of it's a lot more embellished than that and then we take all their little pretty cherry tomatoes and things like that and build build the soup from there so yeah it's really good with vodka in it too it's a great martini <laughs> it's a great cocktail <laughs> yeah, <a little> shooter. <laughs> but what i love about what most people refer to as deconstructed is also um a way to use things that wouldn't get used otherwise. Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's that's the whole idea. That's a lot of what we do. Um, even though there might be very refined things, I also, you know, really don't like to see things go to waste. And, you know, I've been to, I, I've been and I've heard about some really high profile chefs that have some farms and things like that. And they'll just go through their farm. And if something's not perfect, you know, it's just they yeah. throw it out. You know, and it's like it, I had, it definitely defeats the whole purpose yeah, of farming as a whole. I mean, back before there were restaurants, you know, with busy cities to feed people, you know, you ate what you had on the farm and that's it. And, you know, so we try to utilize ingredients as best as we can responsibly in our in our restaurant. Yeah. I mean, is it hard for form, farms that you contract uh, to grow to spec? I mean, are there some we really don't even them. ask them to do that. You know, there's just like I, we take we take what they have yeah. and we yeah. use it, you know, and it, believe it or not, it makes their job easier and it makes our job easier. And I almost feel like they work harder to make us happy because we don't sit there and micromanage them. You know, it's it's yeah, it's just the, we let them do their yeah. craft. And then when we get the product, you know, if it needs to be prettied up, we'll do that. Yeah. If, if it's perfect coming in the door, we'll sell. I mean, a bad tomato well. is a bad tomato, you know, a, like a waxy tomato or something like that. But, you know, the, they don't come to us with that stuff. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they may not look perfect or, you know, and that's fine with us. You know, we'll we'll work with it. Yeah. But I mean, from from the imagery in the book, there is. Uh, a simple perfection sure. to a lot of sure. the dishes yeah. themselves. So, well, and that's the beauty of the the seasons in spring and summer. You know, it's you don't have to do much to food. Yeah, you know, it uh, well at least produce in particular. It's it's pretty much is what it is. You know, in the winter and the fall, you really have to braise things, enrich in things. You know, and there's definitely February when the only thing we things we have left is either whatever we've preserved or potatoes and turnips and onions, and that's it. So, you know, you got to work a little bit harder in those months to to kind of shine yeah with the winter months coming up i mean what do you do with those things to create a dish that isn't bedraggled with you know it it sometimes feels like it still becomes that yeah um (laughs) yeah i mean it just depends on what it is like you know sunchokes for instance uh come up in in the spring or wait what is it the late, the late, they're basically a root vegetable. So we see them in spring and we see them in late fall. And it's whenever the ground freezes or thaws is when they harvest them. And so, you know, we'll make soups out of them and purees. And, you know, it's a special time of the year that comes twice. And it's usually like maybe four, week, four weeks long. Yeah. So, you know, we try to kind of feature those things when they come up. And they're yeah. special. So. <laughs> Sunchokes are the only... Uh, only way I get to use my truffle slicer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and it's amazing. Do you guys have those here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I, I was talking to somebody that wasn't, had never even heard of them, but they're essentially the root of the sunflower plant. Oh, I, <laughs> I think all these years, yeah, I heard that and also know Mr. Jerusalem artichokes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I don't think I've ever equated the two things. Yeah. And it's, and, you know, they're, they're pretty prevalent where we are. So yeah. they're, they're a lot of fun. There's, I love them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, let's talk about potatoes, like real heavy starches, uh, you know, rutabaga, that kind of mm-hmm. thing where you're, 
you're, yeah, you're just wintered do a, over. Yeah, I mean, you do a lot of glazing and 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 roasting, and you know, vinegar, adding like you know, champagne vinegar or something to yeah, just some of the braise, just to brighten and, it up and and you know, give some some spice to things. Soups, yeah. purees, soups yeah, that's nice. kind of what ends up happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's funny, you know, the Midwest. Well, New York has its seasons as well, mm-hmm. but the Midwest. Four. We have four real seasons. Yeah. I mean, it's hot, hot in the summer and cold, cold in the winter. And, you know, spring and fall are just literally the most beautiful times that there is. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like restaurants in the mm-hmm. Midwest have to work that much harder. Oh, yeah. To, to, to show the breadth of their, you know, cuisine. Well, okay. and what's interesting about where we're from, and we actually talk about it in the book, that weather is really harsh there. You know, it can we can have the summer. It can be either too hot or too dry. Or it could rain like crazy for four weeks, and we literally see tomatoes for literally like three to four weeks. Tornado and season and all Tornado that. Tornado season. Not to be I too mean, cliche in yeah. Kansas, but it happens. You know, this last spring, uh, we had a terrible, terrible tornado season, and it, you know, it pulls the plantings up out of the ground. And it, I mean, yeah. it took a long time this, this past year to get. Last, this year was kind of rough. Tomatoes, and, and a lot of the planted produce was greens all that took a stuff while gets for it wiped to come out to us yeah so mm-hmm. but it is it is what it is and i think that's kind of the beauty is is figuring out how to work around it so yeah and luckily it's archived and all here in this yeah. cookbook yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with kobe and megan Geralt from bluestem program has been sponsored by the Hearst Ranch. At Hearst Ranch, ranch manager Cliff Garrison describes their philosophy. Raising cattle on grass is both an ancient practice and one that is standard in much of the modern world. Sometimes the old ways are the right ways. We believe that our methodology is the right one for us. For more information on their premium grass-fed beef, visit hearstranch.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Here with Kobe and Megan Geralt from Bluestem in Kansas City, Missouri. Right. Perfect. <laughs> Not Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> um, sitting here with your cookbook, beautifully put out by Andrews McMeal? McMeal. McMeal. Yeah. McMeal. yeah they it's kind of strange. But <laughs> um, and it's beautiful. And it's just kind of stunning. And it is so you. Um, but I also wanted to talk about this collaboration that you had. Uh, often with cookbooks, you're assigned a photographer or writer. But sure. you had a really cool relationship in creating this. Yes. Yeah, we... Um, yeah, Bon Wing Lee was our writer and photographer who many people may know. He was the ulterior epicure, which has... He's a blogger. Um, and I think a fairly famous one from what we've heard. <laughs> and uh, we are very fortunate. He's from Kansas City. Uh, born and raised, and uh, yeah, he actually when 
about the time we first opened up, which I think is about the time that he first started really writing online, he you know used to come in and just rip us to shreds about <laughs> everything that we didn't know what we were doing. Definitely our harshest critic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and throughout the years, you know, actually Megan remembered who he was or what he looked like. And, you know, he'd come in a few more other times. And I think I had a heated email exchange with him. And well, we tell the story in the, in the beginning of, or Bonjwing does when he writes the uh, introduction to the book and tells the story of that heated, heated email exchange. And, and really for the first time, understanding the perception of a chef and, you know, the difference of, you know, coming in and being a diner, but yet being a blogger and then learning truly the behind the scenes of, you know, what it takes to run a restaurant and what it takes to be a chef and to have, you know, a, a daily thought process of creating menus and feeding people and, and what that means. And he, um, you know, we came, became fast friends. He's very, very well traveled, very, very well eaten, even, even better than he's probably the most well eaten person we know. Um, and it was a natural fit to write the book with him. He's really, really wonderful writer, beautiful photographer. Um, and it was an easy process in that sense because the pictures in the cookbook that show the, the prepping of dishes or the completed dishes were actually real-time pictures. None of them yeah. were staged yeah. or fake or anything. He was in the kitchen with us writing the recipes word for word as we went and um, photographing them in real time. So Yeah, I don't know if the way we did the book was real orthodox or how people normally do it, but... You just go in on Saturday morning. I could walk into the walk-in and grab a bunch of stuff, and we just start going. So, yeah, yeah. it's pretty. I always tell people the winter section was when we really figured out what we were doing. <laughs> Spring was kind of. So I don't know what we're doing. So it was sectioned into seasons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we tried to cook. It took us. Uh, it was a two-year project. The first year was the actual uh, prepping of the recipes and writing of the recipes, and then the second year was broken into two parts. Where the first six months was. Um, you know, editing and and then the last six months when it it went to print. But the first year, so we started writing it in spring and then spring got cut short because it took us too long to figure out what the heck we were doing. So, um, by the time, you know, then summer would come around and we would try to do all of summer in summer so that we had all the products to work yeah, with. Yeah, because we were really worried about having to go back like in fall and try to because something didn't work or, you know, it's like, how do you go back in fall and try to fix something from the spring? And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a couple of it times was challenging. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah, were like, we, can we get a, I remember Concord grapes was really hard. I was like, I really need Concord grapes. And it's like, you know, February. Uh-huh. And my farmer was laughing at me, but she happened to have some preserved uh, grapes that she made into a puree in her cellar, so she gave those to me, and, and then you yeah. know we figured out. I how to literally do it have there. a list of fleeting ingredients, mm-hmm. yeah, and who to contact when they're out of season. Oh, that's yeah. great! I need one of <laughs> yeah, those. Yeah. I'm not as organized yeah. as this one over here is. So, <laughs> so I mean, going through season by season, you obviously learned something because you said winter was easier than spring. Yeah. What What kind of tips would you have for you know a, a restaurant owner on writing a cookbook? Um, I think just, you know, we, we had a pretty, yeah, be definitely organized. We had a plan of, for the most part, which recipes we wanted to do. Um, but then some were developed as we went. And then Bonjwing had a few favorites that he was like, you absolutely have to have this in the book. And we're like, come on, Bonjwing, that dish is so old or, you know, that wasn't our favorite, but, you know, take advice from what do your customers want to see? I mean, most, a lot of our soups were requested for and. So those are definitely included. What's our favorite dishes? One of the big things we heard, too, was, I mean, I was told to tone it down a couple times because it was getting too complicated. And, you know, you really want people to buy your books and and use the recipe. So, you know, we adjusted some things and and kind of made it so people can do the stuff at home. Well, it's a fine it's a fine line, too, because we didn't want to write a, um, you know, a real 
homey book because we wanted the it's the story of the restaurant and the restaurant you know we do fine dining but we also have the lounge so it had to be it had to hold the integrity of the restaurant it had to tell the story of the restaurant but it had to also be approachable because ultimately you're here to sell books and we'd like to do more so that was tricky to find that middle ground so there are some recipes in there that i would say are very challenging that maybe some people will bypass completely and then there's a lot in there that you know are easy and then some even you could do weekly if you wanted to you know but you know it's just being realistic about what your what your guests want to see and and they want to do stuff at home yeah you know well i mean i i believe just from knowing you two that your guests want to see you in this book yeah because you know they come to (laughs) communal is is you know the word that i think best describes it not only in table but kind of community center yeah that you have created in kansas city i mean this is Mm going to be a relic of you know, cooking there for ages oh, sure. because of that. Well, and what, you know, what we were talking about before, you know, we started the show, we learned a lot from doing this too. And one of the biggest things was, you know, I was really worried about coming across Megan wasn't as much as I was, but you know, I know my peers are going to see this book and I was really concerned that I didn't want to come across as some kid from the Midwest. Yeah. And you know, we really, I really came to realize that, that's exactly what I am. And, you know, why am I trying to run? Why are we trying to run away from this? And, and from there, you know, it's, it's really kind of taken us in a new direction and, and who we are and where we want to go and how we want to grow. And as a cookbook reader and as chefs, you know, I've never really seen a book from the Midwest represent the Midwest in in a higher level. You know, there are, there's a beautiful, gorgeous uh, book out by Judith, Judith Fertig right now called The Heartland. Um, And it's different chefs in different restaurants. It's kind of a collaborative book. Um, But there's, you know, there's obviously the French laundry is a a big extreme on the West Coast, but there's that style of cookbook. And then you've got East Coast books, but there was nothing really in the middle of the country that showed how beautiful food can be. It was, you know, there's a lot of casserole cookbooks. There's a lot of church cookbooks. (laughs) You know, those, that's kind of, even as a Midwest girl, that's what I think of when I think of Midwest eating. But there's a lot there to showcase. And so we really wanted our book to to show all all areas of of what we could do in the center. Well, we were talking about regional cuisine, fried Mm -hmm. chicken, Mm -hmm. barbecue. Um, That's often not written about either or elevated to a point, but you have an upcoming project that might do so. Uh Yeah, we really want to, I mean, I think that that, it's great how everyone is, you know, being local and sustainable, which again, I said, it shouldn't be a trend. It should be just the way it is. But I think that the next step is, is, you know, instead of taking those foods and, and cooking French food or Italian food or Spanish food, you know, it's like we should be celebrating where we are, you know, where we're from and where we are. And so that's, we really want to take things in that direction. You know, a lot more of the regional Midwest food, you know, the, the, the preserves and the cobblers and the pies and the, you know, the, the, the barbecue and the steaks, you know, the quality meats. And, you know, it's, I think it's, I think it's something that should be explored more. And this cookbook will help us expand our brand in that sense. Cause blue stem will always stay the way it is. It will always be kind of our fine dining flagship. And then the next concept will be a little bit more high volume, a little bit more casual or quite a bit more casual, I would say, but you know, still focusing on those same regional ingredients. And the biggest thing that I always love to see with guests, even we had dinner last night at 11 Madison park and they had this, uh, uh, wonderful, uh, chowder that they served. And you could just see the, the people next to us became really nostalgic. Yeah. And they started telling their, uh, 
their server um, the story of how they were they were collecting you know seashells on the shore with their family yeah. and it's like when people start to remember those moments with family and friends I mean that's when you know you've hit you've hit it when you're feeding people yeah we've we've noticed a lot when we talk to our customers at Bluestem you know they always want to talk they know I'm from there and they want to talk about this restaurant that used to be here you know and it's always the same conversation it's like you know we used to go on Sundays and get chicken at this place and it was just excellent and you know there's a very kind of cliche mom and pop thought that comes through your head when you think about those things and it's just because no one's really explored it yeah no one's no one's come in and given it the respect that it deserves and you know taking it to the next level and and that's what i that's what i think we're going to do with our next project do you have any tricks to your fried chicken or to your barbecue yeah actually um we put put, a few things yeah (laughs) we put um uh, like pancake dry pancake mix in with our flour yeah because it makes the the crust expand yeah it makes it crunchier yeah Um, and it steams it a little bit more yeah Yeah. and it steams it a little bit more and that's something with fried chicken and then barbecue i mean there's a hundred different things for barbecue barbecue it's a it's a very uh subjective thing people are crazy is it micro regional in kansas city like which which sauce is kansas city barbecue we kansas city is smoke and sauce like texas is all is all um what do you call it is all just meat and they only use beef i believe and they're not big on sauce yeah and then the carolinas you know they use mustard based sauces and like tennessee is all sauce we're like where everything meets yeah we're kind of the you know the the mixing bowl of all the I different think, regional yeah, not styles to be biased but kansas city has the best, best. Yeah. for those yeah. reasons <laughs> <laughs> i mean what places other than your upcoming project have the best barbecue in there's kansas oklahoma city? joe's oklahoma joe's is my which favorite. is probably yeah. and then there's you know it's really interesting i don't really know how to say this and be politically correct but there is you like don't have to okay <laughs> there's literally like there's the white people to do barbecue and there's the black people to do barbecue yeah. and there's two totally different they're two totally different yeah. styles mm-hmm. you know the the white people barbecue is really sticky and sweet yeah you know and theirs is a lot more spicy and i mean there's one isn't better than the yeah. other it's well, just two barbecue styles. place in kansas city is is good for their own things and me not being a native from there but my husband is so you know if we want ribs he'll say let's go to yeah you go to Quicks a certain place for ribs yeah. you go to a certain like place or... for pulled pork and mm-hmm. a certain place for brisket and and that's kind of like the insider know of Kansas Cityans, yeah. you know, and you've got people coming in that want barbecue. It's like, well, what kind of barbecue yeah, what do, do you want? want? What do you, you want know? to eat? What do you want to try? But there isn't like any mixed race barbecue that combine those two things? Not really. <laughs> like Jack Stacks is, is, you know, the the big mecca. It's like they're the biggest ones. And, Jack and Stack is like the holy uh, temple of barbecue. Yeah, it's but then the, the old, really old ones like LC's, <laughs> like you walk in the door and you you try not to slip on the floor <laughs> and Arthur, Arthur Bryant's is, you know, in a really old part of town. And, and, you know, I, it just really depends on, on what you want, but it's, you know, it's, it, the stuff is special there. It's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, that's what people eat. Yeah. It's not very good for you, but it's, it's damn good. <laughs> so are, are you going to make your fried chicken, your barbecue, uh, be healthier, be better for, well, I mean, I think we're going to add a little bit more to it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I do want, to see some of the the local produce and things mixed in a little bit more with some of the actual 
flavors that it is. Well, like a lot of what we, you know, when I first moved to Kansas City with Colby and we opened Bluestem, I was like, all right, everybody talks about the steakhouses and, you know, there's barbecue and then there's steak in Kansas City. And I said, well, I, I don't feel like I can really be a Kansas Cityan unless I know the steakhouses. So we made a point to eat at every single steakhouse in Kansas City. And, you know, again, they're they're different for some, some of the same reasons the barbecue places are. Some of them are really old. Some of them are in different parts of the city and do certain things better than others. And, you know, what we did, we kept seeing in not only Kansas City steakhouses, but in Chicago and nationally, it's like they serve those same sides, you know, those holiday sauce and asparagus and it's a lot of that stuff year round. And yeah. so at our new concept, you know, we're going to be taking the regional, you know, seasonal, you know, when it's tomato season, you're just going to get that, you know, fresh you olive know, oil, sliced tomatoes, salt, with tomatoes, a little sea salt and, and that's oil, it. You know, and and, that's and it. do those things and change those sides out year round. And, and, you know, you, know, you might get turnips, but more. they might just be, you know, nice roasted turnips with a little bit of honey and salt and pepper. And that's it. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I want those things to be themselves to, you know, stand on their own. Yeah. That's what I think is good. The classic steakhouse sides, but you know, we'll take it to the next level and just really make it more seasonal as it should be. So really the only thing you're wasting is paper for all the menus you have to print. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, we're actually going to do like, you know, we'll have, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We'll have, uh, we'll have chalkboards and stuff too, with who we're getting stuff from and yeah, which featured farmers of the week and wasting chalk. Yeah. I don't Ch- know. Where Chuck's just- sustainable, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. I don't even know. I think it's another thing like that craft, uh, you know, mac and cheese <laughs> yeah, sauce. Yeah, just happens, happens. And do you guys have a timeline and ETA for this new restaurant? Project? Well, we're still actually, um, yeah, we're still in the fundraising part. Yeah. And it's not going badly by any stance. It's just we're getting ready to pull into the gate. So yeah. hopefully by next summer. Summer or spring of hope, 2012 hope, hope. Yeah. Is, is what we're, we're planning for. You get all these business guys involved in it, and they make it way too complicated. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, we can't do this until we do this. And it's like, all right, just let us know when we can turn the stove on. Yeah. So <laughs> do our thing. Awesome. Well, you know, give me a holler when you turn the gas on. I'll make my way up. Absolutely. We will. Definitely. Thank you again. It's a beautiful book. Thank Check you. it out. Thank Blue you. Stem, the cookbook. Yep. Uh, on shelves now. Yep. Awesome. Fantastic. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Host Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.